All right, good morning, everybody. Welcome, welcome, welcome. Good to see you all filing in uh, with your coffee, your orange juice, your fill in the house this morning. We're going to have a good time together today. We're, we're starting a brand new chapter in uh, Galatians. We're going to cover the first seven verses of chapter four, and it talks about identity. You know, it's been said that your identity is everything. How you see you. I mean, how you see you when nobody's around, right? When, when it's just you looking in the, the mirror, how, the perception that you have of your own life, it has a lot to do with how you live on a daily basis, your, your identity. The truth of your identity is this. The Father said it in Christ before the foundation of the world. He, he's, that's from His end. From his end, he sets your identity in concrete. He made you an image and likeness of himself, breathed into you the breath of life. And now you and I are on this progressive journey of recovering the identity that was lost, right? We lost the sense of divinity as identity with this faulty mindset that Adam opened the door to and all of humanity seems to just flood through it. We... We forgot who we were. We've had amnesia. And the church has not helped us recover our identity. They've, they've sealed a false identity into us that's been separated from God, alienated from His goodness. And that's what Jesus came to do. Jesus came to awaken us. He came to bring to our remembrance. He came to change our self-perception. And Paul carried that revelation to the Gentiles. In Colossians chapter 1 and verse 26, Paul said this. Colossians chapter 1 and verse 26. He said, The mystery which has been hidden from ages and from generations, but now has been revealed to the saints. You know what? You know what's being revealed to the saints? And if it was being revealed to the saints 2,000 years ago, buddy, it ought to really be revealed to the saints in a stronger way today. Paul said it was a mystery, hidden. You don't see it when it's hidden. Here it is. He said, to them Christ, God would make known what are the riches of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. That is the hope of glory. The hope of glory is the recognition fully of the Christ that has always been in you, but we didn't see it. It was hidden from us. It was a mystery. It was hidden for us and, you know, bless the church's darling heart. They just pushed that hid, hid, being hidden down more from us every time we went to church. Every time we went to church, they reaffirmed with us that our identity was broken. It was messed up, jacked up, separated from God. God wasn't happy necessarily with us. That's the identity they fixed in us. That's not the identity that Father fixed in us from before time. Now, after three chapters, we've come through three chapters of Galatians. And Paul's been exhorting those believers to abandon all of that false identity, all of that law-based gospel of works and behavior modification. And he's saying, I want you to get back into the full swing of this revelation that I'm bringing to you, which is Jesus plus nothing. It's pure grace with no law added. It's the sufficiency of all that Jesus did as us, for us. It's the Christ in you. <clears throat> That's your identity. That's your hope. That's your trust. He's always been in you. 
So in chapter 4, which we're into today, if you come over to Galatians chapter 4, we're into Galatians chapter 4 this morning, and he turns his attention now, he makes a radical turn in chapter 4. He makes a turn in chapter 4 to grow them into who they actually are, their identity. Identity is important. If I can change your identity, I can change your life. And when you discover who you actually are, from the Father's view, who you've always been, and if you can, remember last week, confess homologia? If you can confess about you what the Father says about you, your identity will be fixed, and it won't be fixed in what First Baptist Church told you, or First Assembly of God, or First Church of Christ, or First Church of the Nazarene. They did not fix your identity in the right position. Chapter 4, he begins to tell us. So I want to spend two weeks on verses 1 to 7 because those first seven verses of Galatians chapter 4 are just packed with revelation for them and for us. Identity, how important it is. Paul said in in, uh, Romans chapter 12 and verse 3, he said that we should not think more highly of ourselves than we should think. He said that we should think humbly and, and soberly about ourselves. Well, I agree with Paul. We shouldn't think more highly of ourselves. We shouldn't have an exaggerated opinion of ourselves. But on the other side of the coin, we shouldn't think less of ourselves than we are. <clears throat> My experience as a pastor for 50 years is that most people think less of themselves, not more highly of themselves. Oh, I know some people brag about their feats. They brag, but brag about all they've accomplished or their, you know, whatever and they've made in life which is often just a cover-up for feeling less than who they really are. So sometimes that braggadociousness is not not somebody thinking more highly of themselves, it's actually thinking less of themselves. So yeah, I agree with Paul. We shouldn't think more highly of ourselves, but we shouldn't think less. And my my experience is that most of us don't think more highly, we think less of ourselves. So this week and next week, I want to put a good measure on where you are in your journey of grace. Can I do that? I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to look at this, this journey, this message of grace that we're on, and where the Spirit has taken you up to this point. I want you to realize it, all right? So today I want to I explore what I'm going to call the servant-son principle. Next week I want to take the progression of sonship development. Because there's more than one stage to sonship, right? A, 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 an infant is different than a 30-year-old man. There's stages of growth. And we'll look at that next week. <clears throat> but we're, we're talking about identity this morning. So I want to fix your identity today. In any seven verses of Galatians chapter 4, Paul mentions three people. Each of them have a different identity, and you may identify with one of these three as we walk through this today. So let's read this together. Galatians chapter 4 verse 1 says this, Now I say that the heir, number one, as long as he is a child, number two, does not differ at all from a slave, though he is master of all. But he's under governors and tutors, or guardians and stewards. I think it's governors and tutors in the King James, and I like that. Until 
This, this heir is under guardians and stewards until the appointed time of the Father. Even so we, when we were children, we were in bondage under the elements of the world. But when the fullness of the time had come, God sent forth his Son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law that we might receive the adoption of sons. And because you are sons, that's good homologia, good confession right there, saying the same thing that God says. And because you are a son, I am a son, God has sent forth the spirit of his son into your heart, whereby you can cry, Abba, Father. Therefore, the conclusion of the matter is, you're no longer a, a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir of God through Christ Jesus. That's a powerful passage of Scripture. There's three people mentioned in that, in that passage. There is the child heir, there is the servant, and there is the son. Three different identities that he lines out there. Only one of the three sense freedom, sense fulfillment, position, and purpose. It's the son. Now, you, you have a higher calling than being a servant. This morning, those of you that are gathered with me in here at the Digital Cathedral, you have the calling of sonship. Now, you haven't heard a whole lot about sonship in the church and development into sonship because the whole job of religion is to keep you serving. So what you find in most churches, most evangelical churches, is the development of servants, not sons. But that's not your identity. Now, when I say son, understand I'm speaking of, of sons and daughters. It's not gender specific. Now, when you, look, when, you look at the, when you look at the two, when you look at the servant and you look at the son, the son's perspective, his approach, his motivation is different than a servant. And I want you to kind of get a mental image this morning of maybe your family owns a large business, some kind of large retail store, or car dealership, or construction business. Your family owns a a large conglomeration of, of companies and businesses. And one day you're going to run the family business. Right now your father's got the full operation under his control, but he knows that one day he's going to turn the business over to you. So you, you have a different uh, view than what an employee of that business has. You have a higher calling than being an employee. You have the calling of sonship, right? Romans chapter 8 and verse 19 says that all creation groans and travails looking for the manifestation of the sons of God. The world is not looking for servants. The world is looking for sons. The world is not looking for servants of God that have an identity as servants. The world is looking for those that have an identification and a full maturity of sonship. A son, if, if your family owns that big business, a son has a vested interest in the family business. The servant or the employees that work in the family business are only interested in one thing. That is the, what I call the wage and the shade. A servant is only interested in the check and the minimum amount of work that he has to do in order to get the check. The son of the owner of the business, in this case the son of the father who has the kingdom, his perception, his outlook, his work ethic is entirely different. 
A servant will never enjoy ownership. A servant has no inheritance in the business. He has no potential. Now the child heir has great potential, but actually possesses nothing more than what the servant possesses. He's, he's a son in the making, but he's immature. Now this is where a lot of us have been stuck and been frustrated in the kingdom of God. We've been like child heirs. And so what we've manifested has been actually nothing different than the servant. We have a lot of potential, but like my father taught me, potential means you haven't done anything yet, right? I used to come home, I played a lot of sports in high school. I'd come home and say, Dad, the coach says I got great potential. Dad would say, you know, potential means you haven't done anything yet. Well, that's, that's absolutely true. You know, potential in a dollar gets you a cup of coffee. Think, thing about it is, a son, a son is in possession. A child there has great potential, but he has no possession because he's immature. So he doesn't possess anything. So the servant has no potential. The child heir has potential but no possession. And the scripture says that that child heir is under governors and tutors. King James. He's under a governor. A governor controls the speed of activity, right? If you have a governor on your car, that governor may be set at 60 miles an hour. It can't go faster than 60 because of the governor. So a governor controls the speed of progress. The tutor teaches and instructs. So this child heir has someone that is controlling how fast he progresses based on his maturity and how quickly he can possess, progress. And he also has a, a tutor that is teaching him and instructing him. Now if everything goes well, this child heir should come to a point where he is released into his full inheritance. That time comes when the father is comfortable that, that the child heir can come into sonship and reflect the father and run the business and have the mind of the father in all that he does. That time of release is when the father can take his hands off and say, okay, I'm done running the kingdom. I'm done running the business. I now place this into your hands. And that's the time we're at right now. I sense very strongly that that the sovereign moving of God is coming to an end. And he's turning over to the sons who are manifesting the work of the kingdom that up to this point, the father had to fully do himself because we were child heirs. We had potential, but no possession. We were still under governors and tutors. And most of us have been stunted in our growth for a long time because of the religion, religious system that we were under. It did not, they didn't govern and tutor us well. They governed us by holding us back, checking us from, from the progress that we should have been making and we never had the tutelage that we should have had. In, in Philippians chapter 2, it talks a little bit uh, uh, about this a little further, it says in Philippians chapter 2, verse 6, don't lose your place in Galatians because we're going back. It says, let this mind be in you which was also in Christ, who was a fully manifested Son of God, who, th who being in the form of God did not consider it robbery to be equal with God. That's the mind that you should have. You see, I, I, I'm supposed to feel like I'm equal with God. Well, Jesus did. As he is, so are you in this world. There, when, you, when you grow into the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, 
then you begin to walk as the Father would have you walk as though he were himself walking. You begin to operate in the kingdom and the fullness of the kingdom as though the Father himself were running the business. Why would you have a, a, a giant car dealership and raise your son to run the business and turn it over to him if he was not at least equal with you in his ability to run and make profit for the business? So when the father looks at you, he's not intimidated by how, how mature, how, how well you come. It, Jesus it says, let this mind be in you which was in Christ, who being in the form of God did not consider robbery to be equal with God. Jesus, now listen to me very carefully. Jesus was a son by position, but he was a servant in manifestation. He knew who he was. He was a son, but he took the appearance to serve in the father's business. See, the, the father's not after servants. I know what you were taught in church, just to serve, serve, serve. The Father's not after ser servants that just trudge their way uh, through life, doing their duty, uh, always wondering, you know, what the least is we can do to get by. And I think that's, that's what happens in church. We cultivate people. We give them a job. Okay, you're, you are now uh, the children's minister. You're now teaching a Sunday school class. So the mindset becomes, well, what do I have to do to fulfill this? What, what is the minimum I can do? Do I have, okay, here's what you have to do. You have to come in on Sunday morning and teach and prepare. prepare that's all you have to do. You don't have to, you don't, you don't have to do this or that. That's, that's what you have to do. And so a servant says, okay, I can do that. The father's not building servants. He's building a strong company of sons that know they are sons and they are growing into a place of full release. So that whatever it takes, wit, whatever it takes within the kingdom, the sons are qualified. And not only are they qualified, they have a heart of willingness to plug in and fulfill the obligation, the task of whatever needs to be done. That's how Jesus lived. Jesus knew he was a son by position. There's absolutely no question about that. But his manifestation, how he appeared, it looked like he was a servant. God's raising up sons who know their sons by position, but by appearance look like their servants. They serve. I, Jesus said, I didn't come to be ministered to. I came to minister. I didn't come to be served. I came to serve. He said that from the perspective and the perception of sonship. Now, Paul said that every person that God foreknew, he predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. So every one of us is being conformed. We're being shaped. We're on the potter's wheel and he's working us into the same image, the same mindset, same mentality, same outlook, same perception as what Jesus carried. Now you know what? A servant will never reflect that. He'll never reflect what a son does. He has, he has a different mindset. He has a different place. He has, he has no rights, no position, no power, no potential. Now in the natural, you know, if you, if you own a large business and you have a son and, and, but you have a lot of employees or servants, in the natural, you have to watch those servants. 
Because if, if you don't corral them, they'll take two hours for lunch. Maybe you, maybe you allow an hour for lunch, but if you don't watch a servant, he'll take two hours. He'll do the job to the very minimal that he has to do. Last minute. Least I can do. I just got to knock this out. He'll do what he thinks best. He's not interested in what your mind is. He's not interested in reflecting you. He's interested in doing what he wants to do. A son, on the other hand, has the father's interest at heart. He comes up, he pulls alongside of the father, he works in conjunction with the father, he works in union with the father. The difference between a son and a servant is this. A son has the law of the father in his heart. A servant has the law of the father in his head. So the son can come in, he, he's, he's working from a heart. He knows the heart of the father. So he's at ease, he's not under pressure, he's secure in himself. So Jesus came in and he had this, this heart attitude of a servant, but he knew, he knew that in position, in the kingdom, in the father's work, he was a son, man. He was a son, absolutely a son who thought it not robbery to be equal with God. That's, that's what his position was. In John chapter 5, Jesus, Jesus reveals this heart I'm trying to get across to you that comes from sonship that Paul was, was, was leading the Galatians into. He took those first three chapters and wiped the deck clear of all religion, activity, works, efforts, and brought into them the whole mindset of Jesus plus nothing. So now he's beginning to conform them to the image of that son that is only him plus nothing. And here's the mindset Jesus had. I've, I've talked to you about son by position, servant by manifestation. Here's how Jesus said it. John chapter 5 verse 19. Most assuredly, I say to you, the Son can do nothing of himself but what he sees the Father do. For whatever he does, the Son also does in a like manner. That is a Son who has absolutely the Father's interest at heart. A servant would never think that way. A hired, a hired employee would never think that way. He goes on, on in, verse, in verse 20. And says, for the Father loves the Son and shows him all things that he himself does. And he will show him greater works than these that you might marvel, right? Now Paul makes a turn in, in Galatians chapter 4 verse 4. Come back to Galatians. I told you not to lose it. He makes a turn here. Up to this point, he's been talking about child heirs and servants and who possesses and who doesn't possess, who has position, who doesn't have position, attitudes, hard actions. And he brings us up to verse 4. But when the fullness of the time has come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law. Why? To redeem those that were under the law that we might receive the adoption of sonship, the same sonship that Jesus was released into. And because you are sons, God has sent the spirit of his son into your heart, whereby you can cry, Abba, Father, have an intimate working relationship, a place in the family business, the same that Jesus had. But there has to be this fullness of the time that comes. Jesus waited for the appointed time. 
He had to wait for it. I bet, I bet, I bet at 18, Jesus thought, I'm ready. I see the vision. I got, I got the mission in my heart. I bet at 25, he for sure was starting to wonder, when is this going to happen? By the time he was 28, he thought, did I miss God? Did I do something wrong? No, 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 no. The Father knows exactly where we are and how much to release into our hands. It's a journey, guys. It's a, it's, it's a mission. It's not a sprint. It's a marathon. You're, you're with me today at the Digital Cathedral and you might be a little bit frustrated, feel like, man, I, I'm not making any progress or my life has been stuck and sputtering in this place for way too long. No, you're right where you need to be at this point. This juncture of time, you are in perfect position. The release comes when he was 30, not when he was 28 or 25 or 18. You, you, you're further into the kingdom than you realize. You are, you are way progressed more than you understand. You're not seeing you through the eyes of the Father. You're way more ready than you're consciously aware of. The day of the company of sons manifesting, I'm telling you, it's at the door. It's not out in the future someplace. It's not tied to some future event like the rapture. There ain't no such animal. It's at the door and it's knocking. Religion with its servant mentality of just do the minimum to get you to heaven. Religion has stymied us by making the whole ball game about who goes to heaven and who goes to this illusionary place of hell to be consciously tormented forever. They made it the whole ball game. Serve, 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 so that one day you can hear Jesus say, well done, good and faithful servant. Is that what he was, will say? No, no. Well done, good and faithful son. That's, what, that's the words that he had. That's what he told Jesus. That's my son, man. I'm well pleased in that one. We've got to replace that servant mentality by a sonship mindset that tells us that we've got to be about the father's business. Man, we have fallen so short of this. We're making up for lost ground. Ephesians chapter 4, this has not happened in the church. We've, we've held people back. We've kept them in a position, a perception, a mentality of servanthood when they should be a son. Watch what, it's, watch, watch what the purpose of a path. What is the purpose of a pastor? It says, when Jesus descended, he also is the one that ascended far above the heavens that he might fill all things and he gave some to be apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors and teachers. Why? What for? For the equipping of the saints. That the saints would do the work of the ministry. For the building up of the body of Christ. Watch. Till we all come to a unity of the faith. Has has there been any kind of emphasis on unity of faith or has it all been about come to my faith? Watch. And of the knowledge of the Son of God to a perfect man. Tell me if your pastor ever did this. To raise you to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ himself. We, we didn't do that in church. What we taught people in church was to be a servant, to manifest as a servant, not a son.
world isn't looking for the manifestation of servants. They're looking for the manifestation of the sons of God. Fully mature, full-blown, operational, making it happen, walking it out. Back to Galatians. Here's the purpose of Jesus. Galatians chapter 4, verse 4. I told you there's a lot in these verses. When the fullness of the time came, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law. Why? To redeem those that were under the law that we might receive, that we might receive the adoption of sonship. Jesus' purpose of release was, was to bring us into a place of sonship. Now, when he, when, when he had, when Jesus experienced the release of the Father, up to that time, he didn't do any miracles. He didn't raise the dead. He didn't walk on water. Why, before verse 4, did Jesus not do miracles? Because he was under the tutors and governors. The tutors and governors were his parents and the Holy Spirit. Then the release from child heir to son took place. In verse 4, he was released into his mission, which is to bring you and I into a place of sonship as he walked. Now, was Jesus the Son of God at 15? Yes, he was. Was Jesus the Son of God at 20? Yes, he was. Was he the Son of God at, verse, at, at 25? Yes, he was. Was he the fullness of the Godhead in bodily form at age 15? Yes. But one day he became fully conscious of the release. He became fully conscious of his identity in Luke chapter 3. This, this put the seal on it for Jesus and, and signaled, okay, the time has come, Jesus. It's time for you to go. It's time for you to be released. In verse 21. When all the people were baptized, it came to pass that Jesus also was baptized. And while he prayed, the heaven was opened and the Holy Spirit descended in bodily form like a dove on him. And a voice from heaven said, You are my beloved Son in whom I'm well pleased. Now do you know what he did immediately after that? He went into the desert, he was tempted. And immediately after that, in Luke chapter 4, verse 17, he went into the church. He took the book of the prophet Isaiah. And when he had opened the book, he found the place where it's written, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me. When did the Spirit of the Lord come upon you? Back at the baptism, the dove came on, the identification was sealed. You're my son. There's a point of release when you know that you know that you know. That now you have stepped over the line. No longer a child there. You're no longer an infant. You're no longer a teenager. You're no longer just a young man. You are walking now into a manifestation of sonship. And Jesus said, here is what I'm going to be about. Spirit of the Lord is upon me. He's anointed me to do what? Preach the gospel to the poor. Heal the brokenhearted. Proclaim liberty to the captives. Recovery of sight to the blind. Set at liberty those that are oppressed. And proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. Which is a year of jubilee. Which means all that has been taken will be restored. You know, maybe I'm talking to people this morning who are a little bit frustrated. Maybe Jesus was a little bit frustrated at 18, 19, 20, 25 also. 
I'm telling you, your time is at the door. There was a time Jesus walked out just to be baptized. And the time came and he was released. The time of the release of the manifestation of the sons of God is here. And, and what is it to do? It's to do what Jesus said in John chapter 14 and verse 21 when he said, the works that I do will you do? Which most of us would say, if I, man, if I could just do what he did, that would be pretty good. But Jesus stretched it out even more. He said, in greater works than these will you do because I'm going to the Father. What is the release of the manifestation of the sons going to do? 1 John chapter 4, verse 17. To be as he is in this present world as he is. As Luke chapter 4, verse 17 and 18. That is the commission of the manifestation, manifested sons of God. And all you're waiting for is that identification to get secure, for that release to come, to move, to know you're not a servant, you're not a slave, you're no longer a child there that has potential but no possession. You see it, but you don't have it. I, you know, I started teaching 1 John 4, 17 back in the 90s. I, I had no idea of the depth of it. I knew nothing about sonship at the level that I know about it now. You know what I know about it now? Listen very carefully. Listen to me. You're going to get up one morning. And the things that were impossible yesterday are going to be possible today. The words that yesterday fell to the ground without any effect. All of a sudden, suddenly today, they'll open blind eyes and heal the sick. You'll be doing Luke 4, 17, 18. Not hit and miss, but one after the other. Isaiah saw it. Isaiah had to look forward to see it. I'm telling you it's now. Isaiah in chapter 60. Let me read this for you. Isaiah saw it so clearly and it's so good. He said, arise and shine for your light has come. Jesus is the light that lights every man that comes into the world. You've got the Jesus light into you. He's now, he's now turning that dimmer switch up. See, it's been dim. Now he's turning it. That's why he says, arise and shine. Your light has come. The glory of the Lord is risen upon you. For behold, the darkness shall cover the earth. And deep darkness the people. But the Lord will arise over you and his glory will be seen on you. The Gentiles will come to your light. Kings to the brightness of your rising. Lift your eyes. Lift, lift your eyes all around and see. Remember I told you last week perception is important. The way you see. The pictures you create with your words make your reality. He's saying, look, you need to see. See this. See, I, 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 use your imagination. of nothing. See it. They all gather together. They come to you. You're not chasing them down. Your son shall come from afar. Your daughter shall be nursed at your side. Then you shall see and become radiant. And your heart shall swell with joy. Because the abundance of the sea shall be turned to you. The wealth of the Gentiles shall come to you. The multitude of camels shall cover your land. The dromedaries of Midian and Ephah. And those of Sheba shall come. They shall bring gold and incense and they shall proclaim the praises of the Lord. That's what Isaiah saw with a forward look. 
That's what I'm seeing now today with a present time. You don't have to chase things. Jesus never chased anybody. They will track you down. They will find you. Arise and shine. Your light has come. Your light draws the Gentiles, he said. It draws the kings. And they will bring what they bring to you. You know what Jesus said? Jesus didn't chase people. I, I don't know how we got this idea that we have to go out and evangelize and chase people down and corner them and, 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 and get them to pray a prayer, make a confession. Jesus said in Mark chapter 6, Mark chapter 6, verse 31. Jesus said to them, Come aside by yourselves to a desert place and rest a while. For there were many coming and going, and they didn't even have time to eat. So they departed to a, des a deserted place in the boat by themselves. Do you see what was happening? They were flocking to Jesus so much so. Jesus said, guys, we got to get out of here. We, we need some rest. We got we to gotta, we gotta emotionally recover from all of this. See, it, the whole idea of church today is, man, we got to market. We have to, we have to, we have to have slick brochures. We got to have a television program. We have to do all these things to attract people. Jesus never, Jesus didn't do anything to attract. It was, it was what was in him that drew people. This passage in Galatians four one to seven is overlooked. We haven't drawn much out of it. Father has placed in you the heart of a son. And as long as you live under any, any law, you're a servant that bows its knee and performs trying to please the master, which is the law. You know what separated Jesus from everybody around him? He always did what pleased the Father. He never said no to the Father. He did what he saw the Father do in a way that the Father did it. And the Father never said no to him. Jesus did not live a life of choices. Hear me. We are not to live a life of choices. We live like Jesus, a life of response. What the Father says, we do. Where the Father takes us, we go. The tree of the knowledge of good and evil is the law. It's trying to choose. The tree of choice is the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. A son doesn't have to try and obey. A son doesn't have to try to make choices. He responds out of union. He responds out of love. He responds out of that oneness that he has. He knows the heart of the Father. He is so in tune to the Father. Galatians 4, 7 is the conclusion of the matter. He says, you're no more a slave but a son. You're no longer a slave or a servant to the taskmaster of the law. You have the mark of sonship that was placed on you. The mark of sonship was placed on you before you ever agreed to take this earth suit on over your spirit and come to earth and be the Father's building. Now there's one word out of Galatians chapter 4 and verse 5 I want to pull out, and it's the word adoption. Here again, in, in our Western culture, adoption is almost like, you know, you're the adopted kid, you're the redheaded stepchild adopted your second class. That's not what it was in Roman society. In Roman society, the adopted child had precedence. You could disown a natural child, but you could never disown an adopted child. 
that adopted son had full family standing. He was full heirs with the one that adopted him. He could act totally on behalf of the father that adopted him, sign his name, get a loan. He had the power of attorney for his father. That spirit of adoption that has come on you, what's being communicated to you is that you are a son, in other words, that acts fully on behalf of the Father. The Father backs you in what you do when you don't live by choices but by responses. Child there can't do that. Servant can't do that. Okay, this morning if you measured yourself, I'm concluding. If you measured yourself as a servant today, then change your outlook. If you've had this, this mentality, well, I'm just a lowly servant of God trying to make my way to heaven. Change your attitude. Change your outlook. Begin to accept the spirit of adoption that belongs to you. If you're not, if you're not reveling in this spirit of adoption that says you can sign the name, get the loan, you have the power of attorney, you can act on full behalf of the Father, then you're living below your position. You're living below it. So what should you do? Shed that, that servant mentality. If you're a child there, then keep learning. Keep preparing. Say, look, I, I see the potential. I, I, I don't have it yet. I'm not functioning in it. Look, continue to grow in wisdom, stature, and favor with God and man. Continue the developmental process. If you measure yourself as a son, then stand up and take your place. See yourself as a son. Speak as a son. Act as a son. Now, there is a developmental part to son, and I'm all done. I'm going to get into that next week. We're going to stay with these seven verses. I want to talk to you about some levels of sonship. There are at least four basic levels of sonship that, that progress in growth and maturity, and we'll cover those next week, all right? Hope you've pulled something out of this. Hope I've, hope I've raised your sights today. Not to think more highly of yourself than you should, but to think everything of yourself that you should. Everything of yourself that you possess. I hope you walk away from the digital cathedral today saying, you know what, I have that spirit of adoption in me. I, I act on behalf of the Father. I'm going out into the world today knowing that I don't have to make choices. I live by response. I hear what the Father says and I do it. I see what he does and I respond. Let's practice that this week. Let's practice this week just slowing down. Don't make choices, make responses. You get up in the morning, you want to do, say, Father, what's the will? What's the plan? Where do we go? What do we do? Who do we speak to? Let him take you and just guide you throughout the day. You know what? You'll find the day goes well. The life that gets messed up is a life that tries to discern the good from the evil, the right from the wrong, and you're making choices all the time because you will make bad choices and you'll pay the consequences of the bad choices. If you go from the man that is within, the spirit man, as many as are led by the spirit, they are the sons of God. That's where the response comes from. That's where your responder is centered. He speaks there, you respond from there. And your flesh just obeys. It's a good walk, it's a good journey. And I'll tell you what, there's no other group of people that I'd rather be on this walk with than the people at the Digital Cathedral. You are a worldwide congregation that is beginning to take its place within our culture. God bless you, see you Wednesday night. Have a wonderful week and let's walk out what we've learned today in Jesus' name, amen? Amen. God bless. See you next time.
I want to take just a minute and thank all of you for being part of the Digital Cathedral and to just request your help in a couple of areas. There's two or three things that you can help us do to put this message around the world. First of all, if you have enjoyed the message, I'd like for you to go down on the YouTube and make a comment. Make a good affirmative comment because many people go down and read the comments before they watch the video to get an idea if it's favored or not favored. Second thing is you can share it on Facebook. Make sure that you hit us real strong on social media. Third thing is you can, you can do to help us is to become a monthly partner in support of what we're doing to keep this gospel of grace going around the world. This year in 2020, there's several things that I would like to get done, but it requires some finances. I'd like to expand the ministry. I'd like for us to become more effective in our marketing and in our production of what we're doing. So you can help us become a monthly partner, share on Facebook, and make good comments on YouTube. Thank you so much for being part of the Digital Cathedral. I bless all of you from around the world and hope that this message today as well as every week is a blessing to you. God bless you. We'll see you next week.